Let's make it exciting. Yeah, whether it's something that's exciting in a positive way or a negative way or, you know, both. There's always something going on. And um, ooh, it does appear that we're live. So, hey, everyone. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic podcast today. Hope you had a fantastic new year. Let me hit the intro. We'll get right into it. Oh, and hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Dash Podcast. Hope you had a great Christmas and everything else. Uh, it's it's convenient that the first day of the year happened to be the schedule that we ended up getting, you know, the new Dash Podcast on. So uh, hope everyone had a fantastic New Year's party. Hope everyone still doesn't have too bad of a headache. You know, I know it's the, that time of the year when <laughs> that kind of stuff can happen. But uh, I, before we get into stuff... I'm going to point out this little live chat here. If you go to cointr.ee slash the desert links, you can leave a little message with Dash probably or another coin too. And the little super chat will pop up and we'll read it live. So without further ado, let's say hi to Alex Werner. How's it going, Alex? Good. Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing really good. And I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, not just because, you know, you're a good dude. And I enjoyed having on having you on on the podcast in the past. But also, you know, you're right in the thick of things as far as platform development is concerned. And finally, after a very, very long time, we have a testnet release. It's almost done. Something is almost done. It's almost out the gate. And it's what, two days ago. We finally got testnet release. So first off, how are you taking the release? Are you, are you happy? Are you nervous? How are you feeling about it? Pretty much happy, nervous, obviously, you know, there is always that developer side where you're like, oh, but we didn't finish this or that. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's a big, it's a big part and it has been a long journey. Mm -hmm. I think I've been first in this podcast, maybe like two or three years ago, and it has been a long journey to get there. So I'm really happy. I think we bring something really good to the table, like really focused on user experience, well, developer experience and I can only be happy with that. Um, obviously, I still I still see what is left to do, but that's ongoing process in development. You always have new update to do and exciting mm -hmm. stuff to to deliver. Yeah, for sure. So, what actually did get released? And this is one thing where there's been a lot of confusion. And obviously, I add like a huge long preface to this question. You know, I'm supposed to be hearing from you rather than talking myself. But basically, in the beginning, people thought when they thought dash evolution, they either thought it meant everything awesome or they specifically thought it meant usernames and contact lists so you could pay people easier and that's it. And over the years, in or it was found out that in order to make that happen in a good, proper, decentralized way, you had to build a big underlying architecture that ended up being what is now known as dash platform, which is a data contract platform. You can do all kinds of stuff and have digital identities and a whole bunch of extra data associated with that. And so then people are like, all right, that sounds amazing. When's that going to be out? And then, well, okay, we'll get EvoNet at the end of 2019, which was like a closed, smaller, limited test net, and then basically full release onto the main test net at the end of last year, which is yesterday. 
or two days ago. And so that got released, but what specifically got released? Because this is a very ambitious, large project, and obviously it's not everything that it'll ever be, but so what actually did get released? Well, actually, the, the switch to Evernet, to Testnet, is actually releasing into an adversarial network. Mm -hmm. um, in Evernet, whenever we made update and we needed to, you know, just wipe the data because we wanted to push an update, mm -hmm. it was something really easy to do. Uh, switching to Testnet basically bring the activity of all the other tester out there on which we don't have the way to have them to wipe their own data. So what got released is actually the whole architecture into a real network on which we don't control mm. the entirety of it. So we are still on the same page that we were uh, years ago in the sense that everything that was planned in terms of DAPI, the need to for a developer to be able to query data without having to run its own node is there. And the ability to store the data, so what is referred to cloud, basically, yeah. um, is there. So that's the whole part with Drive. Um, you had uh, some kind of what we called in development dog fooding. It's like you develop something and you start building on top of it, mm -hmm. which is what we did in, uh, in the form of DPNS, uh, the Dash name service. It's basically the ability to, that's what brings identity uh, in a decentralized fashion. Um, this main component is what allow you to then create some application, which is, uh, which can be DashPay, for instance. DashPay is basically, you know, the wallet on which instead of paying to a, hard to understand, hard to write, hard to, you know, communicate um, a cryptographic address, you can just have an understanding name, uh, something like Obusco for my, for my side, for instance. Yeah. And starting there is everything people really want, but in a, in a way that developer can actually work with that. You don't need like some, some platform out there will require you to do some crazy uh, low level programming, you know, where you have to do some assembly code and you have to jump some other have some compiler on top of that, which, you know, help you. In the case of Dash, you actually only need to know a simple notation uh, language, kind of, which is uh, JSON. So mm -hmm. that's something that any kind of developer, maybe you be uh, Java, C Sharp, uh, JavaScript, we all know uh, J uh, JSON because that's how we communicate with server. So even a front-end developer can communicate, can fetch the information from such a network in a really easy way. and that's really the most exciting part to me as a, you know, whole front end guy um, that we bring to the table. Mm. Yeah, it's exciting that you're basically able to kind of do all that much easier. And so from my understanding, um, so I've been testing DashPay, the username wallet on EvoNet and through a few different iterations. And so I don't know if it's, I don't think it's switched over yet, but that's going to be very soon switched over to full-on testnet so it can just be you know used and there were quite a few bugs that were squashed already and now it's a pretty smooth experience and it's yeah it's pretty cool and so basically at this point rather than a small controlled group you're going to be able to get just any person who has anything any kind of familiarity with cryptocurrency to just sort of jump on board and start using this thing and figure out how it works yeah clearly yes um and not, of, not only the need to figure it out, 
um, the whole idea of what we released is you don't even need to go there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's better for you, for your own culture, for your own understanding, maybe for you to help us debug or give us some new, uh, some idea or whatever you want to do. But actually, you don't need anything because we bring with, with that release, we bring some client. So obviously, mm -hmm. you have the GS client, but you know we have the same thing for Java Android or for iOS in terms of uh, Objective-C. So the only thing you need to do is something you, as a developer you already know is, you know, using a library. We we do that all the day and you use a library. We made the, you know, some functions so you actually understand what it's doing without even, even having the need to read the doc. And so basically we try to remove from using the need to understand anything. Mm -hmm. You don't need to, to learn a new language, you don't need to to, to, to learn assembly or whatever, you just know already everything. You know how to use a library, you know already how to uh, use a JSON, you know how to perform HTTP uh, request. And with that three element, you can push and retrieve uh, documents. Yeah, and so basically the, the non-coder speak of all that is, it just will be really easy to build applications on top of this. Yeah. Yeah, so... It seems like every kind, every time we do the podcast these days, we end up doing like a "Why does this matter?" What's so cool and interesting about Dash Platform? Uh, partially because um, there's always new users and new people listening who might not have seen it before, but also because I think it's something that a lot of people are having a hard time, and I even, you know, probably a lot of Dash people as well are having a hard time understanding the full scope of like how interesting and cool this is and it, to be fair this was the same case with just about any uh, any emergent technology that's in that very like raw and new state like for example bitcoin how many years has bitcoin been out and not really changed too much it just does the basic send and receive type stuff yet people are still writing big long posts about how the uniquely this thing works and that thing works and you can do this and you can do that and you know and just rediscovering things in fact but so Basically, uh, from my understanding, and this is why I always have someone who's an actual expert like yourself on, so it's not just me saying, oh, I think this, this sounds good to me, and then someone's like, eh, you're wrong. But uh, basically, the unique selling proposition, more or less, of Dash Platform, other for the user side. Obviously, the developer side is you can build what the user wants. You can build it so much easier and just it everything just works really well yeah. and but so for the user side you get a decentralized um digital identity that you can then use to easily transact to with other people it's not just like a standalone username or something that people can send to and it, it makes it a lot easier to send and receive but you can actually form relationships between other identities instead of just you're sitting here with your data you can send and receive to other people but it's like you can actually form connections with them to facilitate all that and then you can also store some data that's not just transaction data it's not just this much got sent to this address is is that a realistic understanding yeah. of the, the whole thing and and keeping the privacy so mm -hmm. so what so actually is more privacy, private but... about about what actually is more private because a blockchain is 
public, extremely public, extremely auditable. That's the reason mm-hmm. why it's so cool. And that's one of the, the problems with um, that's one of the problems with cryptocurrency sometimes is it's just all out in the open, which is, you know, it's just, so anyway, what what aspects are actually more private on this? Well, basically, the reutilization of the same private key you are paying to. So a user won't, will never see that. That's the whole goal of what we are doing is that mm-hmm. you don't need to care. You care to paying to someone that you actually can, you know, an, a, a name that you can actually understand. But um, in the in the technology behind that, we actually use uh, cryptography in the same way that you would have uh, used it in a first layer, which is you never really pay twice to the same address, yet mm-hmm. it's still the same person that receives the money. In the same way, um, as a user, you don't need like 10 years ago, well, a little bit less, but you don't need like years ago to store a set of private key, you only store a mnemonic. The same concept have been uh, reused uh, in order to facilitate that payment in such a way that I will be able to receive multiple payments from multiple persons that do not get into a single address. That's why maybe, you know, Alice yeah, as one of my contacts will not necessarily know what is the address I have with Bob. So that in this way that the privacy uh, exists uh, in difference to having a simple tipping address that is public on internet and any, anyone can, you know, just send you some dust in order to know when you move or where you move or, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so... Um, the actual transactions, not on-chain of sending and receiving of Dash, but the actual relationships between users and things like that. So say I connect with you. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, in the beginning, the connection, the actual connections might be public for a while. Is that still the case? Like the initial no, connection? It's, no, it's public only for you and for me because mm-hmm. we have the information in order to create yeah. the elements that allow us to transact mm-hmm. but someone else than us two won't be able to you basically need to have access to the mnemonic of other urls okay. in order to create all the elements that allow you to you know uh, get yeah. the address and so when we have a connection every bit of data that's sent and received between us is encrypted is that right uh, not or... necessarily, no. Um, okay. It's just that you you don't communicate it. You mm-hmm. don't need to communicate it. That's okay. how privacy yeah. exists. It's, it's not like something like you need to post it on, let's say you send me a, a DM on Twitter and Twitter mm-hmm. can read my DM and then they can have the address. Uh, you, you don't need that. So no one else can guess it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you're sending and receiving data, and all that is, it's recorded somewhere, right? Like the master mm-hmm. nodes, I guess, would store that. Um, how, like a blockchain is publicly, easily accessible by a block explorer, right? You could just look at the blockchain. You just, ha- you know, like a full node just looks at the whole blockchain and you can see everything that happens. Now, obviously, there's other, when there's platform data that's stored, uh, who can look at that data? anyone that knows the transaction id or the address mm-hmm. but then again it only works for the first payment then you switch to a second address that you still can uh, know you know which are the ones you already use or yeah. not so you just derivate onto a list of address 
but uh, you still have the ability, let's say for tax reason or whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. you still have the ability to export that information and share it with the government if you want. But um, before you actually share it, they won't be able to know who is who. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of, so I was reading the blog post that came out right before uh, right before the release by um, Quantum Explorer, shout out to Quantum. Uh, and I was looking at some of the interesting stuff that it that provided. First off, one of the cool one of the well, I'll start with the lesser of the cool things. Um, I don't know if it's lesser because they both seem cool, but basically he, he was saying that a single wallet, a single identity or whatever, would be able to have multiple sub accounts, like sub identities under the same name. So before I you know ramble on about how I think that's cool and awesome and all the awesome stuff you could do with that um how does that actually how does that work back end that you can have instead of just oh you got an identity and all the data underneath that um and then all the connections between that identity and others and it's you have and have a completely separate identity but instead you have an identity and then a one above it i guess that or a wallet or some kind of a, a container above it and then that contains those separate identities so how does that actually work um, so that's quite a technical question. I will try to summarize it. Um, basically, from the mnemonic that you own, um, you, you get a private key, a, a master key, as we call it, because it's from there the root of all the other key that will be created. Mm -hmm. The system inside will basically do that derivation, which is basically you have a key, you do some computation, and you have a new key that is based on the first one. So you need to know the first one. That's where the security lies. Mm -hmm. That's how you basically can restore your wallet because you have that first key and everything gets uh, flow from there. Mm -hmm. And from all those different keys, um, that basically can be different accounts. Uh, obviously, you make use of derivation paths and stuff like that. But that's basically how the system works. You have a single key and everything just flow from there and the system has some kind of consensus on how you want to derive what are uh, what we call passes, you know, just a way to to derive this key. And they, they, there is a meaning behind that. There is some kind of uh, a small consensus on how you should do that, that stuff. And that's how you can get to derive a sub account. That's how you can get to derive specific address for payment. So whenever you hold a single mnemonic, you can have multiple and actually an infinite amount of addresses and you will always be able to restore them. The same idea apply for sub account that can then have infinite address. The same idea can apply for basically everything in the system. It's really just a nice use of cryptography in order to really enhance um, usage and still in a way that the user don't actually need to even understand what I just said. Um, yeah. I, uh, derivation is not necessarily a, a word they need to to know. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to have a time where you know derivation had multiple uh, consensus, um, and you you need to you you had the need to actually modify that. Today it's not the case. So we are all on the same. Um, every other wallet are on the same page on the derivation. So. You can port that from, you know, the Dashpay wallet to even a wallet you create. I mean, with um, with the GS uh, 
SDK, it's actually pretty easy to do. It's actually mostly done for you. And so you just can create a UI on top of it if you want. So, yeah. Yeah. So when I'm, does that, is that just kind of structurally as far as like what controls, um, what actually controls each identity or is there other info, other data that kind of links them? So let's just say this, I create a personal um, account, call it the desert links, right? I create a personal account and then obviously as the identity and everything go, and then I create one for digital cash network, which is my channel. And I decide to create them completely separate. And so both each identity has a seed phrase behind it, which we'll go into how cool that is in a second. But so now I have two and I write down one over here and I put down one over there and that's how it works. If I want to, I can it's do something that's literally exactly the same thing, except I just have to write down one for both of them. Is that correct? Or is there some, some more? It's know, a little bit like when, let's say you have your current, uh, your current wallet and mm -hmm. it has a mnemonic and yes. you have an infinite number of uh, receive address. Mm -hmm. um, a previous receive address, let's say uh, whatever, which is, has actually a public key and a private key associated with it. And the private key, you can just extract it and, you know, hand off that one to someone else. And he will still be able to actually get the fund on this specific address, touch them, move them, but he won't have access to all the other one because um, what you gave him is only, only a sub part of the information that is needed in order to transact with something. And in this case, only this, uh, this keeper. So the same thing can be done in everything else. When you have two different mnemonic, uh, you are totally separated. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the master key is totally separate. So you can do everything you want. You can uh, pass it and, you know, ex whatever. Yeah. And so um, say I create the one instead of both. Uh, let's, and the, obviously these are like boomer questions, as I call them, and, you know, the, but it does help the, the audience to kind of understand the full scope of this sort of thing. Um, say, for example, I form a connection with you. Like, you, I, I add you as a contact personally because we went out and, you know, we went out for breakfast or something, and I'm like, oh, I forgot, I got to pay you back. So we, we connect, so I send you some money. And then you decide you like the podcast, so you decide to, to send a donation or something. And so you connect to uh, the Digital Cash Network, my per my professional thing. So e if I have them both under one, both derived from one seed, then do you still have to connect to two separate ones? Or once you connect to one that I control under that seed, it works for both of them now? No, it's still separated. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there is a reason for that, just because you might want to uh, you, know, you might want to make the distinction between the two accounts. For mm -hmm. you, it doesn't change anything. You receive the money, whatever, and you can always retrieve it. But at the point where you want to end that half to someone, um, you know, someone else, then I don't know, maybe you have an employee that uh, deals with receiving the money and do the accounting stuff. Um, you might not want him to actually have access to your own personal uh, other account. So what you will do is that you will end up the, the third account directly to your accountant or whatever, and you will keep the first account. 
you will still be able to do the same thing, except the key will be with less ability to derivate, actually. Yeah, and so uh, is there a way, so say I decide I'm going to control both, but then at some point I decide to, uh, I'm going to retire, I'm going to become a farmer or something, go off in the countryside, raise sheep, and I don't want to do this this crypto media stuff anymore. And so someone says, hey, I like your channel, I like the stuff you do, I would like to keep doing what you were doing. And I'd say, sure, I'll sell it to you. And can I then split off one of those things and just give it to someone else? Or because I derived it from the same origin, now I will always control both of those accounts? You can handle it off, uh, but on the ability to uh, you lose the access to it, you will actually need to make a, a full transfer. And the issue there is the ability to uh, redo the connection again, mm -hmm. you know, because um, it has to, the derivation, it's hard to prevent you to accessing uh, that one from the same master seed because that's how you actually initiated the, the derivation. So uh, that's what, why right now it's better to actually have two mnemonics separated mm -hmm. um, just because the ability to totally get you off the ability to derivate that again is not something um, that that is done uh, right now on testnet yeah well i should point out by the way that for some reason the um the live super chat isn't updating in real time it's taking a little bit of long time but i have i did get a couple i got a blank message and thank you anonymous and i got another one from anonymous that says thanks for your podcasts so thank you very much anonymous i'd love to be able to put that on the on the screen but apparently it's a little slow to update but it might pop in later but anyway, no, I'm still reading them, and I will still verbally say them live on air. So we're talking about the different uh, mnemonics and you know seed derivation and the fact that you can have just one little recovery phrase written down and control multiple accounts. Um, that also brings back the thing that I thought was the coolest, which is I already think it's cool, to be honest, that with cryptocurrency, you can take all your funds and you just write down or memorize if you're, you know, you're playing it risky with, you know, your memory games, right? But you could write down somewhere just 12 or 24 words, just a series of words, and then that's all your money. And it, wherever you can hide that, you can take it with you. It's just like you don't have to carry a big, like, safe of gold bars across borders or anything like that. You don't have to have a computer or a device or something special. You just have, like, some words. And you can just plug that in and just get your money back. And that's always an amazing innovation that um, especially a lot of like the, the Bitcoin maximalists like to talk about because they're all focused on the store of value aspects of it rather than the transactional aspects. And while you know, I might disagree on that, I do think that's a, a something that I don't think enough people think about how game-changing, how revolutionary that is. But from my understanding, uh, with Dash Platform now, you can do the exact same thing, except not for, not just for your funds, but for your whole digital identity. And so from my understanding, that would say I have my two accounts or whatever, and I can write down a little phrase that's associated with that, that can just restore them if anything goes wrong, but that, that's, that's everything I have. And that backs up not only my funds, but also uh, my, you know, contact information, you know, my username and stuff, my identity. Also, my relationships, right? My contacts with other people. 
And if I'm also understanding that correct, that also backs up, or at least it backs up access, it backs up access to all of the data that I might have recorded on the Dash network using that. Is that all right? Yep. And even like, let's say you want to have some kind of, you have some information and you want to um, encrypt it, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe someone, um, encrypting is actually easy. If you can store some data, you can just encrypt the data that you have uh, stored. You mm -hmm. just need to have a way to actually get it back. But whenever you do that, you actually can store encrypted data onto the chain that no one else than you can actually read. Mm -hmm. So you could always get the same information from the same mnemonic. Also, the mnemonic, um, you you know how to uh, to memorize a 12 word, 24, and actually even bigger than that already. The only reason why you think you cannot do that is because you don't have the technique that allow you to memorize that. But mm -hmm. you know, the, the, there is big literature on how to, you know, maybe you have heard of Mind Palace and stuff like that. Mind Palace is one way, but there is, you know, some kind of uh, brain protocol that you can get up with and that will allow you to retain big information in your brain and basically forever because you have uh, make, made it easy. You transform words into scenario. And so instead of memorizing words, you just memorize a scenario in your head and mm -hmm. you can uh, convert that back to, uh, to, to, to words. But uh, yeah, every, every data is actually tied to the mnemonic. So everything you store actually on the chain can be uh, fed that back just from that mnemonic because the the wallet plus the protocol definition that you made into the JSON that we talked about mm -hmm. can just be um, can, can just be uh, retrieved because you actually have all the information from a single phrase to get every information that you have ever store. You just need to know that you have access to this app or that app. Yeah, and that, that basically it. and even that is an information that you can actually get stored and retrieve. So that would be, a, let's say, a separate hub that do the information of, okay, I transacted on this hub, this hub, and this hub, so that when you restore your mnemonic, you actually go fetch the information always in a way that the user doesn't really need to do anything mm -hmm. except knowing it's, uh, it's mnemonic. And obviously, if you don't have yet the technique to memorize everything, just, you know, there is secure way to to store that um, yeah and so back uh, up and you know when you have that um so right now that 12 word whatever phrase restores your access to your act to the funds and we of course with that platform now you can now that does it to the identity and so is it also so it's to the identity and the funds together right Mm-hmm. so it's all and does this mean that in the future, obviously it will still be possible to get a recovery phrase that only restores the funds itself, right? Yes. I mean, in the future, you can do everything you want right now. It will still get the data in the same yes. way, except if you uh, do re the restoration into a wallet that do not support anything else than layer one, on which indeed, obviously, you will only get the fund. Yeah. It's so... Obviously, this is a pretty, a pretty revolutionary kind of a thing because, it, in my view, because uh, basically, let's just say I, um, let's say I, I run a business 
and I have all kinds of interactions back and forth. You know, I, I have payments, you know, in and out every single month. I keep accounting and then I write stuff off on my little corporation forums and expenses and just I run, do the whole business. And then there's a fire or something <laughs> and like the business, burnt, like whatever, burns down. In the past, it, it's the equivalent of you run into the safe and just grab all like the money and just like take it. So you, you save all the money that you got, but you still lose a bunch of records. You still, you're still in a bad place. And that's the way kind of seeds worked in the past. Of course, um, in when you restore a wallet from a seed, you still see all the transactions in terms of where did you send and receive to in terms of addresses. So you do still have that record. It's kind of like a record of invoice numbers, but no data is associated to the invoices. So like you don't know who did I pay? Who is that to? You know what? What context was that in? Like, was this actually no? And that's in the in the old school, right? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. the old school. But now, it's basically like you get to just take the safe, and your whole business comes with you, and like the whole thing burns down. Yeah. And you just plug it into a new place, and whoop, it's all back online. All the orders just the same. If people are paying you while everything was destroyed and down, you still get all those, you still know who it's from. It's not like, oh wait, wait, I was offline, it wasn't recording, sorry, let me put it back in and can you remind me what happened? Because this actually happened to me not too long ago. I think it was in May where um, I think a lot of, uh, locally, a lot of businesses shut down to in-person traffic for a period of time for like a few weeks and during that time, you know, takeout businesses were huge. And I went to get some food at the place right around the corner. And I ended up waiting about like two hours for the, the takeout order because it was through DoorDash and there was some error in the DoorDash thing. So a lot of orders never were received. Like mm -hmm. their server went down, there was a connection issue and they just like a bunch of people paid and then they just had no idea because, because of this sort of thing. But so in this case, you could just back up everything. And it's just yeah, and prove that you made the the order actually. Yeah, so I mean that solves like a real world issue today, and I I also think, I, I mean I'm going to get into a little bit more. First, I just gotta answer this question here: Is any of this going to be compatible with hardware wallets? So the short answer would be yes, right? It depends on what you are talking about. Uh, the problem with hardware wallet is that they don't uh, right now they don't really have a knowledge of the platform part. So they only mm -hmm. know about the layer one. Mm -hmm. And um, the way you actually get the the money when you pay with someone else uh, from identity is actually since the derivation logic onto identity. So you have your mnemonic, from mnemonic you get identity, and from identity you get contact and you know obviously the address that are related to the contact. Um, the hardware wallet right now on the Dash implementation that they do is basically you have the mnemonic and you have a bunch of addresses. Well, mm -hmm. you have an account and a bunch of addresses. So they don't go, go um, deep enough for you to get everything. So you, you will not see, uh, sadly, there uh, all the information. You will need to do some, uh, some stuff before. Yeah. Well, um... As I was saying, this whole idea of a decentralized digital identity, it's something that, it's one of those things that I think that people are overlooking, just how huge it is. And of course, you can just tell me to, at any point, you can just tell me to slow down because I'm exaggerating things or whatever. Like, okay, okay, it's, it's not that cool. Wait, close, but not that cool. But anyway, from my understanding, it seems like 
this could really open up a whole new world of a lot of things. And let's just start on this, this small level. Of course, the small level is instead of a wallet, have an account, but an account that's in a, de a decentralized account where uh, you have things like, for example, Edge Wallet has accounts. They have like a, a login that you can use to restore your funds and things like that, that they don't really control, but they do kind of like run things. And of course, you know, this is not a, a chat on how Edge works, but basically uh, you uh, wallets that do have accounts tend to be centralized. They tend to be centrally controlled. And the wallets that don't have an account are just really rudimentary. You just send and receive and that's it. And like, oh, well, who's in your contacts list? Who's in your, who knows? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it's, that's their thing. And you, again, you restore the phrase to another, another wallet. Hey, I got all my money back on my transaction history, but I don't know what it means. I don't know who did what, you know, none of that's saved. So on at a very small level, you got a decentralized account. Uh, on a larger level, it starts to become, for example, when you just have that one decentralized account that now you don't have to create a new one every time you use a different service. And this is one of those things where, like, I, do you remember back in the day? I mean, it still is the case, but remember every single site, website you wanted to use, they all wanted you to create an account. Before you move forward, create an account. Oh, you're going to buy from the store one time? Create an account or just sign on in with a guest thing, but still kind of create an account. We'll do it for you. And then you have an account, like 50 million accounts <laughs> across the internet, and it sucks. Then you have to remember your password. You just use the same one, and one of them gets lost, and then it's then the password's out on the internet, and they can hack into your email and stuff. And so it, now instead of that, uh, there have been a few of these uh, larger services, more popular services, like for particularly Facebook, Google, and Twitter are the ones I've seen, which let you log in with whatever, where the website says, whatever service you're using says, you know what, we don't want to have to deal with holding all your own, all your data and like being, you know, uh, having our own way of like holding all this stuff. But more importantly, we don't want to inconvenience you with having to create a new thing from scratch and a password and all this. We're just going to outsource that to a service we're sure you use, like Google. You log in with Google and then you just get in. But it's still like Google's the honeypot for everything, or Twitter is the honeypot. It's actually not even doing that. It is, but the only thing they are doing is that they ask Google to give your information mm -hmm. to them. So they still store locally information. If they mm -hmm. get hacked, it's not a Google you know, identifier that gets leaked. It's your yeah. email and name and every information you can have given to Google and that you share with them. When you click with login uh, with Google, you basically authorize the website to fetch information directly to Google. Mm -hmm. So you have information on Google and on the website still. It's easier for you as a user to basically don't need to enter anything, but yeah. uh, so sadly the result is still the same. It's like a UX hack, but it's not yeah. actually it's not actually any any better. Now But well, uh, it's a good way for Google to know where you transact and for uh, yeah. yeah, it's a mutually beneficial relationship in these parties, not necessarily beneficial to you, however, as the user, other than eh, it's easy to get in there. You know, it's, it's easy. easy. It's easy. And I'm using it too. like, I mean, and of course, there's yeah. all these co there's competing standards of Google, Twitter and Facebook that are all trying to be the one that you trust and you use and stuff. So you have these three different standards that are used and 
The problem, of course, with using just one thing for everything is then Google controls your life. Twitter controls your life. Facebook controls your life. And everything you use kind of depends on that. But if you have one decentralized digital login that you can do, then it's just like, this is my login, my identity. I just go plug it into every single service. And as you said, it's not just a copy-paste of credentials where once you log in with your Dash account, it just copies over to a new service. You could actually have the service not even hold or you know create any database of any of your data, just mm-hmm. kind of tap in directly, and then when you're gone, you're gone. Yeah, you can you can have the service only trust some kind of signature that only Google can provide. And you know, if you are able to provide that and it's matched with the ID from Google mm-hmm. and because they are connected to Google, you you know that the user is actually the user you pretend to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that there is way to do that. Um, but the service want to mail you, they want to maybe sell your email, so that's why they are asking for it. But in reality that don't really need it. Obviously, shipping address is something different, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so basically your personal credentials are much more secure in that you don't have to actually trust a single company with all your information that they can then control. But also, uh, none of these can lose your information and then it just it's out there and can be exploited. Which, <laughs> it also reminds me, Um, For a while, I was writing articles every time there was like a credit card hack. And I used, so I used credit cards. I used cards for a very short window of my life, right? I was, Mm -hmm. you know, young and using like a mostly cash, especially because I traveled a lot and I was using like cash only kind of stuff until, you know, my, until probably about, you know, 20 years old. And then from like 20 to like, 27 or so i you know, that was like that lit that window of using cards and stuff and then since then of course just all crypto and so it, it always blows my mind when i go back and think about how horrible it is that when you give a credit card number that that's just it's like you're giving keys to your car it's in order to pay for anything you just give someone a basically an unbridled license to just take money out of your account and it's always like i understand that there's you know consumer protections in some ways and there's limitations and you can contest charges and things like that however it still blows my mind that the world works that way that it's like that's such an insecure system that the only way to give someone money is to just it's like the imagine that the only way you could pay someone is you took your wallet and you just opened and let them put their hand in and like take out what they need it's just like it's actually even worse than that. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm, you know, I have moved out uh, here and there uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, people leak your data and you want to move sometime. Mm-hmm. And um, always I'm registrating in order to have, you know, uh, electricity and stuff like that. In order to do that, you have, uh, I think it's the same name, but mm-hmm. uh, the IBAN, uh, the bank number. Yeah. And you give that information and that's the only information you give. And then you have a paper that they send to you and you have to sign the paper and get them back in order for them to have the right to remove the fund. Mm-hmm. Trust me or not, but I've never ever sent, uh, signed the paper. Mm-hmm. I've never returned the paper. It never has been a problem. They always have been able to uh, get the money from my account. And the IBAN is actually pretty ap- 
public information, right? Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be that this single information without my consentment is enough for them to take my money, yet they always have been able to do that. I'm probably not in the legality, or they are not. I don't know who is the problem, because, mm -hmm. I mean, the paper, you need to give them the authorization to get the sound out, but they don't even care. They don't wait for you to give them the paper, and they never actually ask it from mm -hmm. you. They send it to you, expect you to send it back after signing. If you don't do that, they still get your money out of your account directly in the pocket, which is good. I mean, I want electricity. I want to have a phone. But um, it always amused me that, you know, you actually don't even need to follow the process in order to get the fund subtracted yeah. from your account. Yeah, and that's just how I have to say, you know, this is the most left-handed compliment in the world, one could say, of the current system is it blow. it's astonishing just how little fraud there's been, considering how easy theft and fraud is under this horribly insecure system from my my point of view that you just there's a little number and people just take your stuff and my bank my bank take me uh, 60 euro if they want to send me a uh, paper later mm -hmm. i don't know if you don't call that fraud but that's not far yeah it's pretty pretty nasty so <laughs> when we have this first off we have this uh, this old system where you at, whenever you log into a website, there's a whole bunch of information that gets copied over, and any one of those websites could just leak your private information or have be hacked or something. And now we go to a, a solution with Dash, where if you log in, they get access to all the information they need in order to get you in there, but they don't actually have that information, and they can't actually leak it because it's just it's secure and you have it. Mm -hmm. And basically, the worst that can happen is people can find out, oh yeah, this customer. He, this is his dash handle. This is his identity. And they're like, okay, great. What does that tell us? Well, that's it. You don't know. You don't know who he paid. You don't know what he's doing. He knows all that. It's all internal, but they don't actually have access to any of that. And so just yes, from... I only know that interaction from both of them, but that's, that's it. So yes. from you to the service, but that's the only information that both of you can have. Mm -hmm. You have all the other information. He have all the other, his information, but someone exterior just getting into one party cannot guess what the other party has and in this case actually they really cannot have that much information even the payment they won't be able just based on the name to get mm -hmm. all the payment just because they are made on different addresses and yeah. the same derivation logic is being applied so yeah yeah it's a security a what maybe hyperbolic language, but in my view, a cyber, a cyber security revolution of sorts in that you, before you just hackers getting your stuff is like, you know, all the old people are just scared. Oh, what if the hackers get it? And you know, it's like a real threat is hackers getting your stuff. But now there's nothing really to hack. You can't really. And of course, every time I say something like that, around a developer, there's always some kind of like, well, technically, you know, you know, I'm sure there's like every system has a potential vulnerability and every potential vulnerability, of course, if discovered in some way, gets fixed. So it doesn't have that vulnerability anymore. In the cryptographic part, I'm not worried. The, mm -hmm. the only problem is really with the shipping address. For instance, uh, yes. let's take the ledger hack. The ledger hack basically cool. leaked real physical address of many of people. And how could you have prevented that 
is not easy because it's it's still part of the service to actually do something to encrypt the data that they got. They can technically mm -hmm. uh, prevent anything to be leaked because they can encrypt it. But if they don't do that, they still need to know the real address on which they want to send you a ledger or whatever you, you are subscribing. Mm -hmm. So technically, indeed, it's a little bit difficult, uh, but there is answer and it's called, you know, cryptography. Yeah. Well, uh, by the way, I just got a live chat. Apparently it's working again. Please make the Cointree link in the description clickable. So by the description, you mean the video description of on YouTube? Or do you mean like on the, the screen, like the button here? We press it because I can't really do anything about that as far as I know. I don't know. I'll, or if you do know how to do that, I can kind of, you know, would be really great is if we have a system where you can actually hit it live and the old menu goes down live, you enter the thing and then it interacts with that. But anyway, um, that's cool stuff. So we're talking about, you know, identity and like an online login with just like stuff like that. But then, um, Let's take it to a, a much bigger level, you know, the mind-blowing level, because um, I find the the concept of identity to be very fascinating because it's a it's a human construct basically around something that just is, which is you know people we exist, what are we, who are we, um, and you know naming of humans has something to do with it, like oh that that dude over there. What's his name? Oh, that's that's Bob. Okay, well, there's another Bob over here. Which Bob is it? It's Bob's son of this, or Bob the builder, or whatever else, whatever he does for a living, or Bob of this town. or And then that's where naming conventions come from. And then at some point, people were trying to find, like, how do you impersonate, how do you... I, how do you make sure that the identity of this person is secure? Like, how do you know this person is who they say they are? Well, of course, if you recognize their face, you know it. But if you don't know them, you just heard of this name. Oh, how do I know you're the guy? Well, then if you have writing systems, then you start doing like a signature that like only I can write like this, which also blows my mind because today a lot of things require signatures like payments and no one has a unique signature anymore. Everyone just goes like this and it's okay, it's signed. It's good enough. Like what? Like we're still using that? It's crazy just because it's like an old system. And so... At some point, you can actually yeah. even pay. Like when I was young, like really young, um, I quickly figured out that if I do the signature of my mother, mm -hmm. I could get off with all the school issue, that whatever. So I did that all my year. And uh, when I get older, I, I started to ask myself, okay, but what happened if I do a signature that is different than the one of my identity card? Mm -hmm. Well, nothing happened. I mean, I'm not in jail, so I think it's normal. No well, one not cares. yet. No one verify. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> well, there is probably prescription now. I hope. I don't. I'm not hundred percent sure it's illegal or not. I don't yeah. really know, actually. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out. But uh, just so at some point, um, identity ended up being something that a certifying body had to say something. They found a way that you is like the ultimate source of truth on who this person is was a governing body, usually like a government, where um, I'm sure, you know, every country has like a, an ID card or something. First off, like there's the birth certificate where like, who are you? Like, are you even a real person? Well, clearly you are because you're there. 
right? But no, 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 you're not a real person unless you have that piece of paper saying, this person was created. And when they get created, here's this piece of paper that says, this is now a person. This is what they're called. And that's kind of like the root derivation phrase that you get everything from. The birth certificate, and then you get your government ID, and then a special number associated with it, I'm sure. And that's the thing used to prove everything. It's like, okay, I am so-and-so. Well, how can I be sure? Well, here's my number. There we go. And each sort of trusts the government, whether it's willing or not, to ascertain who you are as a person. But, for example, I have, I know multiple people who do not have birth certificates that were born at home, did not get ever taken to the, like, on purpose, in some cases, right? Just we're not, they don't technically exist. They're not citizens of a country because they're just, they're just, there you go, that person, that's all we know. This person's named that. How do we know? Because they said it. That's it. And at some point, can you imagine people using a dash identity as the ultimate source of truth as to who they are as a person? As in, they say, they either choose not to use their government ID or they don't have one and instead it's like this is me these are my private keys i used to to sign in here i can sign transactions all my like yeah. communications you don't give, yeah you don't give private key ever yeah. however you can sign <laughs> with the private keys information yes in that's what i that it's you yeah he turns the private key he says this is me i certify that this is me all these posts are this all the money that goes in and out is this and then that could be a complete replacement for, you know, a government identity. And at some point, um, for example, imagine if you're traveling to a different country and, you know, a lot of it's that's probably the number one reason why you'd want an ID today is or what that everyone has an ID is because otherwise you can't really travel. I do know some people that figured out how to who don't have that, but I don't. You know, I'm sure it's a very edge case. I'm sure it's very difficult. But for example, say if you're a country like, let's say, pretend Liberland, right? You know that country, right? That's near mm -hmm. Serbia or whatever. I don't know how they conduct business, but say they decided to allow non-governmental persons into the country who basically they're people, but they want to allow, pe they want to allow people who don't necessarily have government citizenship. And for example, I had an old professor who was, born in the UK, but not of UK parents. And for a brief period of time in his life, or I don't know how brief, he was a stateless person. He didn't exist according to any government. He had no citizenship and he had to later get that. And it was very problematic. So say there's someone like that, or there's someone like who doesn't exist, who doesn't exist on any uh, database at all, but they have some- Actually, it's not yes. I had the same issue up to my 17 or 16, I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. And you used to think that uh, you cannot pass certificate, you cannot pass driving license without having this kind of identity. Mm -hmm. It's actually totally possible because the funny thing that happened, and I remember that correctly, is that when I get to the uh, driving inspector, they asked me all the paper and I said, oh, I don't have this one, I don't have this one. And they asked like, how comes? And I said, oh, I was I wasn't born here. Uh, the country I've born is basically not existing. Mm -hmm. You know, USSR yeah. to uh, Russia Federation. And they're like, oh, okay. They just, you know, erase the line of requirement and here you go. Yeah. The, the human do not really, uh, when it's not computing in the brain, 
they try to just get rid of the problem instead of fixing it. So you always can deal with that. Sorry for digression. Yes, of course. And um, so having a dash ID is a, another way you could just use that as a replacement for your government yeah. ID in a in a very conceptual thing. Of course, in the short term or possibly even all of our lifetimes, this will just be the thing. Everyone will still need to use their government ID for a lot of things. But technologically, in terms of like the possibilities, you could just have your dash ID and that is who you are, that is your thing. And then there we go, you're, you're, uh, you're ready to come and go and things like that. And one thing I also found interesting is um, the concept of, of, of someone's identity, their personhood as, a, as something that is not just tied to, to their, their physical body and who they're, where they're born or things like that. Like, for example, multiple identities to the same person. Like, for example, Batman, right? <laughs> Batman is two different people. And it's the same person, but it's two different identities. And it's and they, they operate kind of separately to a certain extent. So Batman would have the Bruce Wayne, I dash, I at Bruce Wayne, and then at the Batman. And he'd transact using those two separate ones, depending on what he was doing. And even if you found out that it was the same person, you it would still be two different people acting in two, two different identities and two different capacities. And that's something that the government does not, they, they just care who you, where you were born. And then that person, that's, that's your identity, your one identity, you're that. But now you have a more fluid concept of identity that now I could create two different dash identities and they're both me, but they're very distinct. And so, you know, and one might prove the other or something like that, or, Say you decide yeah. to retire as the Batman. You're done fighting justice for justice in the streets and stuff. You're still the per Bruce Wayne. You're still the person, and you hand it off to someone else. Now someone else is the Batman, still the same identity, still the same actor, but a different body, a different person associated with that. Yeah, you basically can make the persona uh, a thing that is uh, individual but can have an existence. Mm -hmm. as long as people agree with that yeah obviously um yeah clearly like i mean pope. at some point <laughs> you you need to you need to be careful with leaking the information with the pop it's a little bit different because it's multiple person taking the identity of one persona mm -hmm. uh, when in the example of batman it's i guess it's only yeah it's only one person incarnating a persona and he try to cut the link between the persona and the the person basically mm -hmm. um, yeah clearly yeah so we did have a, a, a comment about this is problem is if you lose your keys and that is something that i kind of think about because this is obviously a huge thing if you lose control over your money and this happens even in crypto today where someone will lose their wallet or they their whatever they lose access and they will say i lost my money someone help me get it back and it's supposed to look the not your keys, not your crypto. There's no identity. It's whoever controls this, controls the funds. It's all yeah. fine. But then you say, no, no, no. I prove that I bought this from an exchange. It's mine. I ascertain that I did not personally send it out of here. This is as far as it went. Someone else who, according to the code is law world, has rightful control over those funds does not have rightful control over those funds, according to me and the government, for example. I want to take get that restored to me and so 
now we got that that situation where obviously your identity is you know important but what what first off you know it's as a as a concept it's what happens if you lose your identity then it's like identity theft with dash like how can you get it back because there's no um there's no way of no centralized way of just saying no 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 you don't have it you got it and so basically you could possibly lose your identity that's a little bit of a risk right yeah you you don't want to lose the, the mnemonic um, mm. and actually just i mean most of the time you have a mnemonic and it's 12 word and you mm. are like oh but i don't even remember where were my car key this morning how can i remember 12 word mm -hmm. just try to remember uh, the brain is powerful and Mm -hmm. Just having tried can always help one day, uh, but obviously it's complicated and you need to have proper backup systems that prevent you from different cases. Maybe, I don't know, a sudden war in your country and you need to have uh, to, 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 to leave immediately and you cannot access to the safe or um, there is a fire and, you know, mm -hmm. it's on paper, so it burns or there is a flood and it's again on paper and it, you know, basically is unreadable. Um, yeah, you need to have proper backup security, but that's basically the whole problem with it. I mean, uh, what happened in, let's take a centralized system, let's take um, Keybase. What happened if you lose your key? Uh, I mean, how do you connect to your Keybase account? Mm -hmm. Well, then it's complicated again. So yeah, you, it's a problem if you lose your key, clearly. Um, and it's really hard to find any systems that do not impedes uh, decentralization i mean yeah. yeah it basically we'd have to have some sort of a multi-sig kind of a thing where someone else could you know take part custody of over that even though they couldn't run away with it you have you include someone else in on it or mm -hmm. you know, could have like a backup or you could also have like a backup account right and i know some people I mean, have that what does happen to your identity when you die and you never plan for it what happened to your phone if you die and you never plan for it i mean at some point it can be smart to you know hand off maybe it can be smart i i don't really know uh, but to hand off part of the mnemonic and not just like that like there is a proper way to actually store a mnemonic in multiple parts and you know mm -hmm. give that to separate member of your family but then you have you need to, to trust that they will only reunite them when you are dead and not you know mm -hmm. that there, there is a way to deal with that um but yeah it can be complicated like what happened if you got into an accident and you didn't even know that you were into crypto yeah like you don't even remember that how how do you do like you need to plan for this kind of stuff mm -hmm. in the other way um that's the only thing you need to really care like the mnemonic is a set of words and you just need to care about that and that's it and nothing can stop you not even a government what they can annoy you, but they cannot really stop you. You can travel to any country, be in any country, and retrieve the fund, and always live. And it it prevails in terms of war, uh, whatever can happen. And uh, yeah, you just need to remember that you have had used crypto. Yeah. But if you put that in your brain, there there is something to do, even in case of big event like you can retrieve element from your brain you can retrieve element from your past it's just mm -hmm. not the best solution because you never know of course 
Or you could have like a tattoo on the inside of your lip here that has like your tattoo your seed phrase or something. And then just always well, have it. Again, we're not talking about necessarily smart things to do. We're just talking about very possibilities. Very smart thing, yeah. Very some smart thing here, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one day you do a, a X radio and you find out that you have something in, inside of you and it's actually an NFC with the key inside. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it'd be funny if like, you know, you have like a tattoo behind the ear here, behind the ear, ear, and then you just have to remember, you know, left, right, now, yeah. all right, right, this order, <laughs> and then you put it down. And or then... try, or, or you try the combination. Like, I mean, it's not that many combination if you only have three, but these are only uh, examples for, uh, for the purpose of explaining that there is way to be smart with that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you, you also need to be careful of not being too smart. Like for instance, let's say you have a, a mnemonic and you say, okay, I won't use the, the first account. Instead, I will use the one millionth, uh, one millionth account mm -hmm. to start my derivation from. And you know, you, when you set up everything, you can set up to start at this point, mm -hmm. but then you, you need to remember what was the number you actually have put there. That's what uh, you need to make a lot of computation and it makes it very impossible to retrieve and like you, you, in this condition, it might be smart to actually, you know, hand off uh, money to some security experts that can help you like, uh, okay, you give them whatever the cost is of a one hour consultation and they give you the best solution to that. Yeah. Uh, or just read online. Like a lot of people actually discuss this subject, obviously. That could you be have element to put mnemonic. You have uh, multiple ways. That could be a very interesting um, business opportunity, right? To become an expert in this sort of a thing and just advise people in secure ways of doing things. You know, see if like you're going to want someone to tattoo uh, some a decoder on them somewhere, or they want to have like a, a piece of jewelry they always have on them that has, a, if not the actual phrase, but has like a way of finding it. And then there's all like a second backup buried in the sand somewhere, <laughs> you know. It might be. In reality, I'm still expecting mnemonic to be added off to Google, mm -hmm. sadly. Um, it's actually fairly easy to do that, you know. You can, mm -hmm. uh, but there is too many people having that information. And I think in the time of adoption, it's not impossible that we get to a layer of... Uh, removing all the issues that we might have a service that succeed on just doing that like because people want that they don't really care about that obviously here we try to educate people and explain them that mm -hmm. no 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 keep it secure it back up it but uh, what will happen where really everyone will be on board will they go to uh, to do that i mean how many people have in the early days gave a paper wallet to people and never actually store themselves what they gave to the guy and mm -hmm. you know years later they're like so uh have you still the money and he said oh no i actually never never used it and you cannot even retrieve it because you did not keep it mm -hmm. it's, it seems that even having money on a paper and get it out of the paper it's something that people might not even care because well maybe it was early and crypto was not the thing it is today i don't know but, yeah uh, it definitely makes you think about, in particular Bitcoin, but also other cryptocurrencies, um, how much of the supply is like valid supply, like how much of it is is just gone forever. Because I remember in the early days, people just 
not in the early days of like 2013, like I've, there was even earlier days than that of people just printing out paper wallets all the time. I have a paper wallet here, I have a paper wallet there. And then they, you know, all kinds of weirdly, you know, put, put something on a thumb drive and put it somewhere. And, oh, we discovered like how much is just like gone forever. And so a lot, clearly a lot more than what is, I think. So I think if you take, for instance, Bitcoin or so, I think the part of uh, liquid uh, Bitcoin is like maybe 10 or 15%. Mm -hmm. But in the early days, obviously, uh, you had uh, people mining with their own software. Um, I never found the fund I, I had mean, mined. I mean, mm -hmm. and I never really took the time to, to, to try to fetch them because they are probably like dust amount or amount that I couldn't even move because of the fee. Well, maybe now, well, now we are probably in the same problem again. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. It, it doesn't worth even trying, uh, but it's a little bit of fun. But also, you had the faucet. Mm -hmm. Obviously, at that time, the faucet was giving you like ten cent or twenty cent. But in terms of uh, crypto element, it was worth a lot. Yeah. So you had Bitcoin faucet, but you had basically Dash faucet. You a had a little bit uh, of fun, but also you had the faucet too. For newer, uh, I think the the supply is more. Uh, real in I mean, I mean more accessible but for everything such as even dash because of how how years have passed uh, there is a a good supply that probably have lost and then again how many people just died in a crash car accident mm -hmm. without never having planned for a backup system that their siblings can uh, can get back to like you know you are 20 years old and you don't expect to die at this age, so you are like, yeah, I will deal with that in 20 years. But sadly, car crash and uh, your money still exist, but no one has the key anymore to access it. Yeah, that actually happened to a friend of mine. He was um, traveling in a different country. He was, you know, I guess older, but not super old. But he was just traveling in a different country and just like got a heart attack or yeah. something and just. And then his his um, family could not figure out how to retrieve his Bitcoin because he just like, you know, he just held it, and now they just don't know how. And they, I don't remember if they managed to do anything like that. But it is kind of it always is a little bit weird when you see um, there's just the social media profiles of people who are no longer with us um, because I mean obviously they can get deleted centrally at some point, but before then it just is like oh this this is just it's empty now you know. It's still like mm -hmm. you still see the smiling picture and now everything, but they're just empty now. But that's a little bit of a <laughs> that's a dark and philosophical role to go down road to go down. But anyway, the thing about all this cool identity stuff, um, from my understanding, uh, so there are a few Dash DApps that have been built, and obviously the first one, the one that the Dash Core team is working on, is the Dash Pay wallet, which is just the send and receive username kind of wallet, username contact list, which yeah, I've been testing. It looks pretty cool. Now, um, there have been some other cool things, and I don't know. Have you been paying much attention to the other things that have been built on platform? Uh, not to all of them. Like mm -hmm. We're at a point where uh, even being at Dash since, I don't know, three or four years, mm -hmm. uh, I get overwhelmed with how much thing can happen, which for me is the most, one of the most exciting things and I want to be, I really want to be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. But um, I've tried mostly the console uh, because I've been working a little bit with. Uh, I have been, you know, the the whole concept about the MetaMask equivalent for yeah. uh, for Dappy and uh, the 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 Jumbo uh, 
messaging app. Yes, that's the thing. Um, the thing I'm most excited about, and I'm helping mm -hmm. consult on it to make sure it actually works very well, is the Jembe Twitter alternative type app, and that could be really, really cool. Um, and especially because I've used a bunch of alternative social media networks and they all are pretty terrible. <laughs> like they, they're all very bad. And then the centralized ones are, are decent. They're okay. But then they're centralized and then they ban you for stupid things. And so it's like, there's, there's a really great opportunity for some alternatives to go in. And that's why, you know, I publish all my stuff on library, which is one of the very few video alternative sites that it actually operates in a relatively decentralized way and actually works well. It's, it's actually a pleasure to mm -hmm. use. And there's, but it's only for the video. There's nothing good for the rest of what we use, which is why, you know, hopefully with Dash, there will be very soon. And the, the other one I'm very excited about is um, the private messenger DAP that uses the signal protocol to do encrypted messages. And then you, you know, log in with your Dash username and can kind of do all that. And that was always one of those things that was um, the biggest criticism I've seen people, because Signal for a lot of people is the gold standard of encrypted messaging. And uh, notwithstanding, there's always been a consistent criticism that it's tied to your phone number. And at having to put in your phone number is a doxing method that is, that, you know, provides a lot of privacy problems you have to enter your your phone number which basically gives away a whole lot of extra information in doing so and being able to have basically signal but tied to your dash id as well and imagine being able to send and receive dash in the actual messaging part mm -hmm. because i have to say like a lot of times right now when i use um when i use for example dash uh and i send and receive to people if it's in person beep scan a QR code, right? But if it's not in person, it just take it to signal where it's encrypted. It's not like sending addresses in Facebook and then you paste an address in or whatever and then you use that to communicate. And basically, imagine not having to deal with that part, not having to copy and paste and take it. Just it's all in the same app because uh, money is a store in a communication of value. And when you're trying to communicate value, you communicate value in the same contexts as you're communicating other things. Like you're talking, you're not just going to like open your wallet and just be like, you know what? I'm gonna pay this person, bonk. <laughs> like, no, that's not how it works. You're talking to them first. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I love the podcast here, send you some money. Or hey, can I buy some chickens off of you? I know you have a new crop of chickens. Oh, sure, and then, then from that comes the actual send. So hopefully when this whole thing hits mainnet in you know a couple months, a few months, who knows? Again, obviously with the testing environment, you have to see how well it turns out before you decide to say, it's done. General public can use real money on it. Whenever that happens, I'd love to have not just the username wallet, but also encrypted messaging and a social media app all ready to go under the one login, the one identity. That would be just, that's mm -hmm. huge. And that's very achievable too, right? It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. The only problem with sending payment is always like right now, you still need to have the contact, but actually mm -hmm. the only reason why you do that is for you to be able to retrieve because having the contact allow you to know that, okay, maybe there is some money. Mm -hmm. If you are able to, to, to say to the other person, hey, I've sent you some money, even if we are not in contact, if you just had 
uh, a way from which the other wallet or the other app can understand that there is some money uh, payment done mm-hmm. and there is a, a united way in order to uh, um, try to find it, you still can. Uh, that's not necessarily what uh, the Dash wallet will do, but that's something that the developer can do. So even what we actually think is doable right now is limited only by our own creativity, but developers can be really, really smart to, to go further. Uh, in terms of mainnet, um, hey, it still takes time. And even after mainnet, that, that, that is not it. Like there is, mm-hmm. there is a lot of stuff yet to do. Um, there is a lot of improvement that can be made. The, the big achievement we've going to, to testnet is like, okay, guys, um, try it, test it, maybe break it. Uh, and what's next, you know? And that's, uh, that's a community effort to, uh, to deliver a priority, et cetera. Right now it, it allows you to really improve with everything we have taught in, uh, in this hour, but that's absolutely not limitation. And that's what's crazy about, for instance, um, library mm-hmm. based, I mean, uh, YouTube has been really, really harsh this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, really, really harsh, you know, sometimes you had, uh, uh, global uh, information, financial information, uh, news, and sometimes the guy just said the, the words that you shouldn't say on, on internet, mm-hmm. and the chain get uh, shadow bound yeah. because we discussed about uh, some stuff, uh, you know, that can be in the news, and uh, you, you can't even have an opinion. And right now, this is an issue um, because it's harsh to be just you know, shadow banned because you said a word that is everywhere on the news since one year ago. Yeah, of I course. mean, that's totally crazy. And that's about storing big information on the platform. That's stuff that we want to improve. Uh, maybe you want also to have a tokenized uh, element. You know, there is a lot of uh, improvement that still need to be made even after we reach uh, mainnet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. And there's a... Uh... There's a lot of possibilities, that's for sure. And I would love to see a lot more people building on it. And I would love to see just all the cool things that can happen because for the, in the basic kind of a way, like I remember in the early, earlier days of Bitcoin, when people could still use it for micropayments and there were people building all kinds of interesting applications on it, but it was still just a very much like, oh, look, I sent and received this little thing. And that's it. That's all you could really do. And they still found cool things to do. Or, hey, I have a little message encoded in this little transaction. But being able to have like a decentralized application layer, just the possibilities are just, you know, endless. And I'm sure that's one of the those big uh, selling points of Ethereum is just all the stuff you can do on it. Now, uh, Ethereum, of course, is very different and has had some scaling issues. And hopefully they'll get resolved at some point, but also just it's in my view, I guess, has some like complexity issues. And it's not like a criticism to say like, oh, it sucks, don't use it. But it just, for a lot of what people need, a lot of people don't need like a self-executing like smart contract. They don't need a, you know, something like that does that. They might just need some basic data stored and some basic communications between users and identities. And then they just, don't want to learn solidity, the language to just code this complex smart contract that if they do it, something wrong goes, something goes wrong. And then it just starts running on its own in this horrible way, losing money all over the place or whatever. It just, it's a much different 
higher powered in a lot of ways animal over there that just isn't necessary when you can just be I'm going to make a quick little thing that runs in JavaScript. And there we go. And plug in. And, the thing know. is for like, yeah, that's clearly the, the whole issue. Like you do expect um, everyone to use the same complex elements such as smart contract uh, execution environment, but that's not really what you need, but you might need it. So I still think that in the end, that's a proposition we might want to, 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 to offer. Um, mm -hmm. But in the meantime, there is multiple layer of stuff you want to do. And that's where the, the platform team has been really clever is like, okay, you have the data and they are stored, but you can trigger stuff onto the data. And when you are a, a front-end developer and a service allow you to do webhook, mm -hmm. uh, you are already really happy. And that's not a smart contract-based system or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's only something that when a condition is reached, it's called a single uh, HTTP page, and that's all it does. And this already enables so many, many things that other people might want to do. Like, it's not like only, it, it shouldn't be only, okay, either you can only transact fund or you can do a smart contract. You, you have multiple layers in between because you have multiple needs. Like, having to store some data is not the same thing that having to run uh, whatever you want to run on smart contract like yeah. uh, automated make uh, market maker for instance you yeah yeah so we did also get a question of what does dash have to do to also do smart contracts like what's required and obviously that should be a that's probably a long and technical question yeah but i um, mean it's more than just a technical question it's mostly we've how you want to do it because mm -hmm. solidity is basically what everyone cut on right on these days mm -hmm. so do you want to have a solidity um compiler like something on which you code solidity and it just get executed on um uh, on a dash a decentralized platform network mm -hmm. on this i personally don't have the answer and uh, that would be something that to be honest is out of the scope of what we release on testnet so um, yeah, I don't. I don't have more answer to that. Um, it's not that hard. Like, I mean, it's really dependent on how. Not that hard. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't want to to say this kind of stuff. No. But I mean, um, these are components that are uh, available, open source, and that we could include inside Dash. Mm -hmm. uh, do we want to do it this way or not? That's something mm -hmm. else. Uh, I remember in the uh, in three years ago, I think, or something, uh, there was that project called. Um, RSR uh, root rootstock, I think, mm -hmm. which was basically smart contract on Bitcoin. And uh, I was discussing with one of the member about like, okay, can we do that on Dash? And uh, uh, what would be limit limiting us to do that? In the end, what really people need, what really a developer need, is not necessarily a smart contract right now. The question might 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 evolve because you know now people want to do automated decentralized market maker. So maybe they need a smart contract, but maybe even there you still can do that in other way by triggering event on some specific conditions, such as a transaction happened. I want to trigger something that is always the same thing based on the condition of there is this much input and that much output and you need to, to deal with some accounting stuff because that's only, at least that's how I understand, that's only how it does. Like it's money on a pool and 
there is an accounting shift being done by some pricing stuff because you know a transaction happened against that pool. Do you really need a smart contract to do that? I don't know. Like, and that's why also going to testnet is important. It's like community get to actually develop onto mm-hmm. that. And how can we improve what are the need? Like, okay, guys, uh, it's it's awesome, but I, I need to be able to do that. And I need to be able to do that in order to get here. And then we can get really what are really needed. It seems to me as an easy uh, intellectual choice to just, you know, port smart contract solidity type into Dash platform and that's it. Yeah. Do we really want to do that this way? I don't know. But uh, what you, one of the components of um, of the platform is actually a, a fork of Tendermint called mm-hmm. Tenderdash, which yeah. is another consensus layer. And from there, there is a lot that can be done. So mm-hmm. uh, execution, there is already all the logic in order to isolate uh, some execution, but it's for now limited to uh, what we do with that. Where can we, where do we want to evolve and which that's not something I have the answer right now. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. And maybe not even by the end of, um, by the end of the test net phase, we might not even have that answer yet because as always, you know, there's, we'll see what gets built. We'll see what people need. We'll see what roadblocks people run into. Oh, I have to use this and that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's technically a decentralized application, but because I need to reference these few centralized things, it's just not, it's not, does not really worth it. So if only I could do this in a decentralized way, okay, then we need extra functionality. Uh, but yeah. that's not the main, it is already a big, a big step to be done. Like, I mean, yeah. again, like I said in the beginning, it's getting into an adversarial network. Like right now we don't control testnet. Mm-hmm. There is other actor, like, you know, whenever you want, I mean, most of the time they always run a node on testnet, but the most obvious case is like you want to integrate Dash, so you start on testnet, you start mm-hmm. running a master node or whatever there, and you look at it before going into mainnet and accepting fun from user, et cetera, et cetera. So that's already a first element on which, um, well, we basically prepare for this step because you have all the logic of how do you deploy in this kind of environment? How do you update when you have uh, new updates? So like it's the same problem as, you know, just developing uh, the layer one on your computer and then having the whole network accepting the consensus, the new consensus that you just created. So yeah, we will see. Uh, but that's still that's still a lot of work still to, to main it then. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, before we wrap up, because it's just newsworthy of the day, a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, Bitrex, the I believe the US-based exchange, delisted Dash, Zcash, and Monero. And I believe it was like 0.06% of Dash's trading volume. So very a very minuscule amount of Dash's trading volume. About double that for Zcash from someone in a Zcash group I'm in said, but still very minuscule. However, a lot of people have been reacting negatively saying, oh, this is this is the sign of bad things to come. And oh, Dash is a privacy coin and all privacy coins will get delisted and things like that. And obviously this, this we've already spent long podcasts on this very issue in the past. So just to keep it very short, uh, what is done in Dash is basically the same as is done in Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, a bunch of other coins, 
which is a coin join, which you take a bunch of coins, mix them together, and then you send out the result. The difference with Dash is that it's more efficient in that instead of just someone runs like a coin join node or something like that, again, I'm being always worried about hurting developers' heads by saying stuff in a really stupid way that's not, not really 100% accurate for simplicity's sake. But basically, the Dash master node network acts as um, the nodes that kind of use it. It's kind of like you already have your built-in infrastructure for for doing this but the actual mixing itself does not is not something that's unique to dash and basically it seems to me that that has not been a problem for regulators what has been the problem is the branding just hearing it mentioned as a privacy enhancing coin it's not that you know and so if it if it is one of those if it's in that group then people are afraid that they will you know, basically piss off regulators. So then they decide to delist it and get rid of it. And there seems to be certain jurisdictions, uh, particularly, um, I believe it was South Korea and Japan have been historically a little worse with this. Um, but there's been some in like the UK as well. And then uh, now the, of course the US is, you know, mean about that. <laughs> but um, it's funny because um, there's two, um, there's two ang interesting angles to that whole concept, which is, uh, first off, Dash does not deserve to be lumped into the privacy coin bin, as it were, because the way things are done, everything on the blockchain is completely transparent. There's just a linkability broken between your funds and then where they go. So basically, if you don't want someone to know who you paid in that case, or if you don't want someone to know where you got the money from necessarily, then it, it helps with that. It helps so you, you know, and there's plenty of very legitimate reasons you want that, but it doesn't mean that no one can tell you have money or it doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that it's not still all public and auditable and stuff like that. So it's useful for the good guys, less useful for the bad guys in a very, obviously, Clearly, yeah. a, a very stupid kind of a generalization kind of a way. But, um, on the other, everything, yeah. everything you can do uh, with Dash, you can do on Bitcoin too. Mm -hmm. The only difference is that on Bitcoin, you will need to use a service from someone else. Mm -hmm. In this case, you don't need to use the service of anyone else because it's a decentralized service in the protocol itself, in the master layer itself. Mm -hmm. But that's basically the same thing. Uh, thinking that it's hard for the government to actually trace you mm -hmm. with this system is not that easy and even on Bitcoin or whatever, because they are smart and they will try to still get the information. So the government can know and it's basically what you said for the bad guys, a bad guy won't use it. But not having another of your peer, like a, a physical buddy that, you know, just loves to spy on you and well, in this case, it will be harder for him because he won't have all the service to trace you back and etc. So yeah, it's really an exa exaggeration of, I mean, I don't want them to ban Bitcoin and crypto in general, really not. I just want them to consider that Dash is actually in the same uh, mm -hmm. playing field here in terms of privacy, it's like really minimal element. And that's not something that will allow to fund terrorism or whatever crazy idea you, like, I mean, why would they? I mean, it's in France, Mm -hmm. uh, we had uh, we have the biggest story with terrorism, it appears. Um, 
you know how they do that. They do KYC and everything, and they directly do loan in order to pay for the vehicle that they need to mm-hmm. do whatever they want to do. So they don't even need the money in the first place. They just loan it in totally normal loaning structure, and, and that's it. They don't even need to pay back because at the end, they do not really, like, mm-hmm. there is no one to pay it back. So thinking that Dash will fund whatever kind of stuff like that is really, really far-fetched yeah and uh basically from my i believe and i haven't kept up super closely to the issue but i believe that dash has been relisted on a bunch of exchanges or a few of them or has had delistings planned delistings canceled after further communication with them um and because you can do the same thing so if you get to the regulator or the exchange and you actually give them okay I did this and I did exactly the same thing on Bitcoin. What is the difference between these two? They won't be able to to answer and and that's a good way to educate them at, oh, it's actually really the same thing. The only element is that you don't have a, a third party it's in the protocol itself, but it's only CoinJoin and that's basically it. Yeah. So the listing gets relisted afterward. And okay, Bittrex is a little bit complicated because um, it's like you said, 0.07%. And obviously, um, are, are, are Dash making really money to Bitrex? Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, like, you know, you need to keep up with, uh, obviously when you list uh, a ERC20 or a dead coin, uh, it's easy, you have no uh, maintenance to do. Mm-hmm. But when, when you list Dash, uh, you actually need to get in touch. Well, we get in touch, uh, DCG get in touch with the exchange in order to provide them comprehensive way to do the update, etc. I mean, it's a living coin. There is mm-hmm. update and everything is there. So maybe there is also that part that might be complicated for them. I, I really don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's only because, you know, regulator think we are like Zcash and Monero and they're like, okay, uh, we get rid of all of them. I don't know. Yeah. So um, I think there's another twist to it that could be a little bit, it could be because Bittrex, in this latest thing, in most cases, it's been, oh, hey, um, this is called a privacy coin, according to some some websites we've read. So therefore, and we hear the government's going to, doesn't like those. So we want to just crack down on that. With the Bittrex case, it might be a little bit more complicated because the, um, FinCEN, what the Financial Crimes Task Force, whatever, whatever the the acronym is, uh, decided to. They've been proposing new regulations on crypto users, and actually wrote an op-ed that should hopefully be coming out relatively soon about this whole thing. But basically, would mean that if a a purchase or something happens on an exchange of ten thousand dollars value or greater, they have to file a report with FinCEN every time. But also if there's a if there's a transaction of three thousand dollars or greater either to the exchange or off the exchange then they would be and this isn't a regulation yet that they're just thinking about doing this, proposition, okay. is if it was on the exchange or off the exchange in three thousand dollars amount or greater they would have to verify the the who owns the address it's going to or came from and the name and physical address of the person 
not physical addresses in in the IP address domain kind of thing, but like the physical is in where they live, kind of. And so therefore, so for example, if I, you know, I let's let's say that for some reason I use a centralized exchange and use KYC, I, you know, give my documents, I go on the exchange and I buy three thousand dollars worth of Dash, and I want to send it somewhere, and mm -hmm. then they say, wait, 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 before you can send it to that address we have to give us proof that that of the person who controls the address and we have to make sure we know their their actual id or whatever so for example if i bought for myself i would just say yeah this is mine here's my control you already done kyc it's fine but if i send to say let's just say a friend i'm like oh i'm going to send funds straight from the exchange to you to you know give to you or pay you then that person would have to give their proof that they control that and they have to do kyc on that and that I think is the problem. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't really mean that um, there this cannot be done with you know other cryptocurrencies, including ones with enhanced privacy features. Even in conjunction with that, it could just mean that oh, we're afraid that we're going to have to do this, so therefore there's going to be extra scrutiny on us because we're U.S. based and we have these coins listed that that might make that comp that process more complicated we just don't want to deal with it at all they're only 0.7 percent of volume so we're just going to get rid of all the all the coins that would cause us to basically spend more time and effort ascertaining things what happens if you get a private send like a coin join transaction to the exchange and you're like oh where'd that come from can't tell it's like how do you ascertain it though the process for saying whoever sent these mixed funds to the exchange, this is who it is, here's how to prove it, and then there, it's just a more difficult process. It's not that it's impossible, because I do know that people, you know, do file their private send transactions on like tax returns and things like that. Uh, you can do it, it just, it's a new process, and why are they gonna do that for 0.7%? And it's probably the same thing with Zcash and Monero. So, I don't know, do you, do you buy that explanation? I don't really know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptic on the main idea. Like, I mean, we have the same KYC and everything process mm -hmm. into the, you know, the financial basic system, you know, yeah. the, the old way, and it doesn't prevent anything. Like, I mean, again, doing a loan is complicated and it doesn't prevent anything from happening. Um, I, my feeling is like, you know, we call that cryptocurrency, but I feel that we, that the, only thing left out of currency is in the name. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, Bitcoin is not is not about currency anymore. It's about storing of value and no one cares that you cannot even pay with it. Mm -hmm. So it seems that we are at a time where no one really care. And because no one really care, they are just trying to, you know, remove, like, I mean, the privacy enhancing kind are the ones that are the most specific to you know, currency. Uh, I'm pretty sure Monero is being only used, like they said it is being used on the darknet. I actually don't know, I, I don't go there. But uh, maybe it is, maybe Zcash it is also, and that's basically where you actually use it. But uh, can you even make a small payment with Bitcoin and keeping the fee at the same rate that what you actually pay? I don't know. So no, not I don't really no. have. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, even outchain, I'm not sure Lightning Network really works. I mean, again, that's back to the whole debate, but uh, 
core team in Bitcoin have said a lot of stuff, but nothing of what they said really appeared to be true today. So yeah, I don't really need. And oh, actually, the the person really has a a, a good point. Exchange yeah. are not really needed so, at yeah, all. Yeah, we like got a live chat. stuff like that. Yeah, local, local crypto is more suitable. And so, of course, this goes back to um, my whole perspective. By the way, thanks, anonymous and. Um, I have to say there was a previous one. I, I didn't do it quickly enough, but I, I got another one that says, thank you for your good work. Happy New Year. Thank you as well, Anonymous. So basically, um, I like I have never used a KYC exchange. I've never done that because I've gotten crypto paid to me for goods and services. I don't think I even gave cash for it ever. I think I just only got it in payment and then just transacted. And basically, if someone like me could do it, it means anyone can kind of do it if they're they're really into it. And so obviously getting paid for it and things like that in the good old peer-to-peer -peer way is the ultimate. There's an there's different levels as well. Like for example, you can use something like local cryptos or wall of coins or something to trade peer-to-peer -peer with someone where so you don't know the guy necessarily, but you find that someone's willing to buy to sell you some dash for this amount. You show up, you give them cash, or you send them PayPal or whatever, whatever service they end up using, you know, obviously cash is the best because, you know, it's just, there you go. It's, that's it. It's just very peer to peer. I mean, in people, yeah. you need to say like, uh, this is a donation or something, a trick like that, you know, that mm -hmm. to be able to give money to someone. So you basically need to lie, you know, that to pay someone on PayPal, it's, it's yeah. still not usable as a way of currency and it's complicated. Yeah. So there's also, um, one of the biggest things when back when people still had meetups and people would show up at meetups and by the way, I'm going to be hopefully restarting the dash meetup around here relatively soon. It just is scheduling changes and things made it a little bit more difficult in addition to, of course, you know, these uncertain times as they say, but, um, you'd show up to a meetup talk. Hey, is anyone sell? Are you sure? Also, you there you conduct it there. There's also a, cool service which i never had much luck using because it was just the ux was very difficult for me but it's bisq b-i-s-q which is a decentralized client this is not a website right you have to install the client and you make trades peer-to-peer -peer with people and you can actually just buy and sell any crypto well, any cryptocurrency they support and it just works and no one can censor it so there's plenty of ways you could do this without that the thing with exchanges, of course, they provide a whole lot of liquidity. Think about any centralized anything. As much as we hate centralization, centralized control over something means a certain guarantee, not necessarily, but, but a better chance of a guarantee of a certain experience. So for example, if I get to say, if I, I have centralized control over the live chat <laughs> and over, especially over this one here, what I get to show, what I get to, sh you know, show shows up. So for example, the reason I have centralized control over this that pops out right here is because when I first set it up, someone started putting a bunch of racial slurs in there. And so I'm like, okay, I don't want to show that on the video in front of everyone. So I exert centralized control to make sure the experience is good. And that's kind of what centralized exchanges can do is they make sure that you can buy what you want, that there's going to be enough liquidity. You can trade it for what you want. They make sure the experience kind of works. Whereas a more decentralized exchange is kind of like, well, let's see if the market materializes. And of course, it's also easier. A lot of people can just give their ID, do this stuff, 
it works. And then on another level, and this is more important with Bitcoin than with Dash, but still, you don't have exposure to the actual technology yourself necessarily. Like you can buy Bitcoin, you don't have to receive it. You have to deal with like, wait, is it a normal address? Is it a SegWit address? There's even another SegWit type address. Or did you send it to Lightning? Ooh, there's like a bunch of different, you don't have to figure that out. You don't have to deal with waiting. You just hit buy, now you have Bitcoin. You can sell it. Now you sold Bitcoin because it's it doesn't actually move. You're dealing with the exchange instead. There's a lot of things that make it a lot better. So there's no, I think we definitely need centralized exchanges. I don't think I'm, we need- I'm really not agreeing. Yeah. Like, it's not the case yet, but let's imagine that you have uh, an automated market maker uh, mm -hmm. built on Dash, okay? Yeah. And that you are able to uh, create your own token on Dash, okay? Mm -hmm. And then uh, you create for your company your own token, and you basically have a legal agreement that uh, they are equivalent to one physical share of your uh, shares of your company, mm -hmm. okay? Do you really think you will have the same liquidity that you can achieve on the decentralized automated market makers type of stuff that you will have in any centralized exchange? Probably not, they won't mm -hmm. even list you. And even today on some ERC20 uh, listing, uh, the liquidity will be way better on something like Uniswap that they will be on many of the centralized yeah. exchange. Uh, I had a friend that is a little bit on uh, cryptocurrency um, uh, altcoin and he basically is stuck on an, an exchange uh, just because uh, I think it was Aleph or whatever he's yes. thing, and he, he just cannot, uh, it's not the same price, like it's maybe half of the price it is, mm -hmm. and he's just stuck on the centralized exchange. Would he have been using uh, AMM in order to transact? He would be better off. So it's not even true, mm -hmm. plus now like you have the new, uh, you have the uh, new um, retail interest in crypto um, that is ongoing, people will need to get to the KYC. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. right now, the exchange are still open, but will they will be closing like they already uh, did in the past, like three or four years ago? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but the whole process is like, okay, uh, your friend told you about uh, getting some Dash since uh, years, and uh, now you finally decided to go there because you are not really trusting that, like, I mean, there is too much dollars or you were being created and you're afraid that it makes no sense anymore. And you don't know you want something that is uh, uh, that have less uh, chance of, you know, just doubling each year. And uh, you finally decided, well, you need to get through the KYC. It can take a long time. And if mm -hmm. there is retail uh, people get, getting interest, then it can take even longer. Um, maybe something like BISC or whatever is a better yeah. solution. So yeah, I, I think this were true, but it is not true anymore. They do not offer better liquidity. Mm -hmm. They do not offer better fee. At least that's how I understand it. Maybe I'm wrong on it. Uh, mm -hmm. I, should, I should actually read more about to, to verify that. But I'm really not sure it is the case anymore. It was clearly for yes. years and years. It was better to use the centralized exchange. But right now we are at a time where, and I actually have, uh, I know someone that is, uh, um, tied with an exchange and mm. um, he got, you know, people in exchange mostly is like a little bit like when we say, yeah, Bitcoin is controlled by China. It's not necessarily true because in China, China. the people that, yeah, it's kind of the idea, like the people that are in China and that were in Bitcoin mining since the early days, their involvement is maybe tied to other idea than, you know, uh, going, agreeing with the CCP. Yeah. So 
you have the same thing with the exchange. Like when you say like, okay, uh, you are when you are a developer, you can work for a pretty nifty uh, price at every kind of, uh, you know, Facebook, Google, whatever you want. When you go into a crypto exchange, it's probably because you have an idea in your head being like, oh, okay, it's, there is something there that interested me. So these guys are interested in many stuff. Mm -hmm. And when they got so many difficulty with the regulation, they start to think about going decentralized exchange. They are still working at their exchange right now, but it seems that a shift might come with the DEX because of that, because like they try to put so many barrier into the exchange and put so many, like it's really, really, really expensive to do KYC for a company. It makes having a user really hard to be profitable. Mm -hmm. That whole problem is actually what, to me, at least maybe maybe I'm wrong, but to me, it looks like that's how they are losing the main benefit. Like, I'm totally agreeing that we, we need to make sure, like, yeah, everything needs to pay the tax and we, you shouldn't fund uh, stuff that are designed to kill people. Or uh, I'm totally agreeing with that. However, the best way to do that is maybe not the route that they are going into right now, yeah, because right now it seems to do the opposite and people get interested with decentralized exchange where I don't think there will be KYC. So you you will lose going this way. Maybe they will be fast enough and it will be really painful, but it seems that what they do will not work for them. That's, a, that's their, their shame. Yeah, I definitely agree that I'm pretty sure in the future we will see much fewer centralized exchanges as far as like the whole exchange thing. I think we'll always see centralized services, but they'll probably be more likely brokers rather than exchanges, or they'll just be like, uh, what do they call it? Custodial wallet solutions in where you'll have like a Coinbase wallet type thing where you have a little login with your email and password. You have all your money on there. You can buy and sell right on there. And if you lose your stuff, someone can get it back for you because it's all custodial. Like I'm pretty sure it'll be more of that. But as far as like the exchange infrastructure moving on to decentralized exchange is probably better. And it's probably inevitable, especially with the inherent honeypot risk of exchanges have a ton of money and they're just people are going to hack them, get their hot, you know, drain the Binance hot wallet, whatever it is, just go for it. So. Um, and even for an exchange, like one of the big elements of DAPI is like, okay, guys, mm -hmm. in order to have a, a, an API on which you can access, you need to run the node and you need to get it open and you need to keep the uh, update and everything. Mm -hmm. With having a, an API that is uh, being done by the master node, the whole logic sh shift to, okay, now you have thousands of people that get incentivized to having this API that runs, mm -hmm. they will do the update. It's like having 1,000 uh, sysadmin working for a single API. Yeah, for an exchange, it's basically the same thing. They need to deal with all that logic themselves. If they decentralize, like, I mean, even a centralized exchange might want to access something that is uh, a decentralized API, for instance, just because of that, because then they don't need to, to get it uh, themselves locally. So, yeah. Yeah. Moving in a great direction. Well, this has been almost two hours, so... I um, I know Grandmaster Dash is seething somewhere, and I don't want to piss him off too much. So we'll have to wrap this up. Uh, first, where could people find you? Like, follow your um, stuff, other than just yeah. use Dash. <laughs> now, to, uh, on Twitter right now, uh, at Obusco. 
Uh, that's mm -hmm. really the, the place. My DM are open there, and that's really the place. Uh, I'm sometimes on Telegram, but mostly on the French uh, dash uh, mm -hmm. uh, Telegram chat. And uh, yeah, less less likely, but uh, I'm still reading uh, Discord from time to time. But again, I get overwhelmed. So if you need to reach me, uh, Twitter is the best place. Else what? Alex at dash.org. Yeah, well, fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on. This was a great chat. And by evidence, by the timestamp, I mean, it gets cut short pretty easily if it's not very interesting. And you're a very fascinating person to talk to, obviously. And the live chat, I think we had like uh, 40 people live at one specific time, which is might be a new record. I don't know. It's It's been higher than it's been on this channel in a long time. But uh, yeah. now... Thank you, everyone. Yes, thanks, everyone. Be sure to try out all the Dash stuff on Testnet. It's going to be awesome. And over the next few months, there's a lot of cool stuff coming out. Some we've talked about, some we haven't. But anyway, if you enjoy this, and thanks everyone for the live chat donations. It really makes a difference. If you liked this, obviously subscribe and share it and like it and all that kind of stuff. Um, we are um, going to now do the after party, which is the exact same thing as this, except it's not recorded, it's not broadcast, and it's a bunch of people. And it just, you know, actually getting to converse about all the stuff we talked about here, not just in the you and me together and then a live chat to kind of sort through it, but a more kind of active way. And the one and only Stay Dashy slash Mark Mason said he's going to be in the after party if you want to go talk to him more about the current status of the whole like Bitrix and regulatory stuff. And so that's going to be interesting. I'm definitely looking forward to that. The way you get into the after party is you have to be cool enough. And the way you get cool enough is you go to stay-dashy.com, type it out, dashy.com, because it's not a typical phrase. And then that gets you to the Dash Talk Discord, where a lot of the conversation happens. And then you just start asking, hey, where's the after party? How's the after party? Are you going to get into the after party? And someone will plug you in. And you get to have a jolly good time. Oh, thanks again, Alex. Hope to see you in the after party as well. But if not, I yeah, understand. And yeah, thanks everyone for watching live. Of course, if you didn't watch live, you know, still thanks for listening even more, especially this big, long, almost two hour thing. Also, don't forget that there's an audio only version of this on, you know, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, all those places like that. So if you want to go and just listen as you're working or whatever else, that really helps. So thanks everyone for watching. And I will see you in two weeks for the next Dash podcast or next week if you're just doing the digital cash rundown. So bye everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and donate to support the show by going to my Cointree page. That's cointr.ee slash the desert links and leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Buy absolutely anything with crypto with ShoppinBit. Avoid content censorship with Odyssey. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.